Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Soapstone. My name is Jake. I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Dave. How's it going tonight, Dave? Uh, okay. I think okay. Yeah? Was that an okay with, here's some positive stuff, here's some negative stuff, I'm good to talk about either? Or was that an okay, like, let's keep going? Uh, I guess more of the latter, because it's not sure. stuff I want to share. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. My I life understand. is peachy. Mm-hmm. Well, um, if you want to covered in bruises and decaying. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you guys want to reach out and talk to Dave one on one in a more personal context, uh, you can do so at now. We'll get to that at the end. Um, Hopefully things shape up peach up. Peach is a shape, right? Uh, Oh, no. Based on some rap lyrics, I would say, yes, peach is uh, definitely a shape. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking a pear. I was like, there is a fruit that's also just, you're like, oh, yeah, things are going pear-shaped, right? Well, which from which side of the pear to which other side of the pear? I wonder what that means, actually. I've never looked up. All right, pear things are... This is what happens when you use phrases you don't know. <laughs> Gotta look forge. up the meanings. <laughs> what does that mean? It means to go wrong, fail miserably. Uh... Possibly originated with Royal Air Force to describe pilots' poor execution of loops in the air. Uh, so instead of it being like, if you consider like an orange, like a perfectly round fruit, right. instead of their loops, they went all pear-shaped. So it's walking yeah. comparison for a flight path. I'm trying to think about that because depending on when you started the loop, if you're like on one side of the bottom going across to the other side, you're still doing all right. Yes. And then you pull straight up into a stall, presumably... And then fall and have to recover out of a stall. Yeah, that would be bad. <laughs> it's, it's definitely less circle, more penis shaped. Mm-hmm. That you're trying to go for, right? But you're only doing one ball, hmm. <laughs> right? That would be dedicated. That'd actually kind of be sort of impressive <laughs> to to pull that off out of a stall, right? You're like and back into another loop. Nope, stop another loop, and here we go up again. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, look to the skies. He's doing a one nut. Oh wow. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. Anyways, I'm doing all right. Um, it's been a week, you know, a little busy catching up on things. <laughs> Still, a little confession. If I can confess something, you know, a little bit yeah. for a moment, just you and I, no one else, obviously. Um, I played a little bit more Dark Souls too in New Game Plus. Um, I'm freaking get ready for the next it. episode, guys. We're doing the DLC. <laughs> <laughs> I actually I completed all the DLC, completed the game. Um, first time I actually beat all the DLC, 
and there's some cool areas in the DLC. Oh, it I was very explored any of them. It's unfortunate. They really do put them on the tail end of the game and they're hard gated behind uh, getting the King's ring, which is only available at 2 million souls. Or if you collect all of the um, Lord souls um, and then you're like, do I finish the game or do I do the DLC? And it's like right there, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. You know, and the DLC aren't also the easiest things to find. One of them is like behind one of the primal bonfires. And the other one is um, an offshoot from the uh, shaded forest bonfire. Anyways, I feel like in general, <laughs> they should give you like an indicator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I think with Dark Souls DLC, uh, when you do the painted world, you're going through just normal stuff and you're like, oh, hey, that's an option. And it, it shows up. And it's kind of like put right in front of you. Yeah. I don't remember. For Dark Souls 3? Yes. Yeah. I don't remember how Ringed City is accessed. Uh, Ring City. There's actually, it's literally at the end of the DLC. If you have the other one, there's an item you can interact with, like a snake skin or snake statue or something like that that takes you straight into the other dlc i believe and they both have bonfires and due to already having warping mm-hmm. you're just like hey all right i unlocked it i'm pretty sure they chained it together okay it would be the definition of what you're describing which is like lead into it um well yeah it shouldn't be like about the dlc and it's like now go find it go go yeah i think it's literally once you've beaten um ashes of ariandel final boss um it's literally an interactable behind the boss you can use to enter the next DLC area. That's, Which is <laughs> convenient. Odd, but I mean, I'll take it, yeah. Yeah. But um, has it been a good experience doing uh, the Dark Souls 2? Yeah. Um, some of it some of it more than others. You showed me... So you showed me the Zero Lenny video where he's like ripping it apart mechanically, and I don't want to get too far into this, but... Um, one of the things he mentioned that stuck with me through the entirety of the remainder of my playthrough was like, it's turn-based. And I was like, yeah, but like all Dark Souls are kind of turn-based to a certain extent. You attack when it's safe. You play defensively, right. you play aggressively. It's really emphasized in two. Like he, he did this thing where he's like, oh, I attacked one too many times. Sorry, that was your turn. And then he gets hit. And I found myself like, thinking that like literally every time I was overly aggressive. I was like, oh, sorry, it's your turn. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> and it's very, very, very true. So what makes do you think makes more pronounced in two versus one or three? Because like I somehow got one to not shit the bed. So yeah. I went up to the gargoyle fight and like I hit once. That was safe. But like mm-hmm. an animation started. So I shouldn't be hitting. I should be getting ready to evade a reposition. Yeah. I mean, the gargoyle fight's kind of difficult to compare uh, or like differentiate between games because it's present in actually one and two. There's a gargoyle fight, right? Um, I think it's optional in two. It's Belfry Luna, I believe. Uh, the bonfire, at least, associated with that fight. Um, but for other bosses, like take... Um, High Lord Wolnir from CDS3. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, freaking awesome boss, by the way. I realize this is turning to the Dark Souls episode re- recounted, but that's okay. Um, 
that fight, it's like he has long periods of time between his large attacks. And it could be like run for your life or it could be like a swing or he's going to summon skeletons. Um, But he's like doing this macro sort of fight where he periodically does something and you have ample opportunity to attack in the safe spaces, like in the safe time uh, to hit those bracelets. Um, And Dark Souls 2 has very few fights that are like that, where it's just like, go to town, go to town, go to town, go to town. All right, hold back for a bit, evaluate the room, check it all out. It's a lot more like hit, dodge, hit, dodge, hit, dodge, right? That does not feel too great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it still can be good, um, but it does. Once you learn the fight, if you know the moves, this applies to all Dark Souls, I suppose. Um, then it feels like Dark Souls 2 specifically doesn't want you to overcommit, where you might be able to a little bit more in some of the other fights. I'm trying to think of early fights in one. Um, that would really emphasize this. What are some of the bosses from one? Um, I mean, the first one is Tauros Demon. Because mm-hmm. I don't count the tutorial boss before you even get to Lordran. Yeah. And don't like, I think... Oils. Yeah, for the most part, some of the bosses are slow. Even like Gravelord Nido. That would be his name up there on the wall. Um, <laughs> uh, he is very vulnerable kind of in melee until he's going to, you know, do one of these other attacks. So it's not Dark Souls 1 just takes different time scales. It's not like do something defensive, do something defensive. You can kind of like circle around an attack or like avoid some attacks and keep fighting. Yeah, it and, feels more fluid from what you're describing for the yeah. RuneScape battle mechanic. Mhm. Yeah. And yeah, I just noted that. Otherwise, like some of the DLC areas are, are quite pretty. And um, there's an area that I hadn't seen, actually, because I haven't caught up on Vadia, I guess, from the last 10 years. And uh, it looks really, really pretty. And it's got like the best intro like sequence, I think, in just Dark Souls. It's just freaking great. Maybe the end of the DLC for Dark Souls 3 would be competitive, but. I'll have to I'll have to show you the old chaos from Crown of the uh, Ivory King. It's really freaking cool. Yeah, because I'm not gonna go I'm not gonna go play it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that um, the world building gets a lot better in three uh, for the DLC, and some of those areas are a lot better. Mm-hmm. That was me. I dropped the thing. I dropped the title of the video at the mandatory 10 minute mark, which is the longest we can go talking about miscellaneous stuff. Um, I mean, it's for a lot of things as this was initially dark souls based, it's hard not to keep making comparisons back to it. Also because of how prolific it is, blah, blah, blah. You, you fucking know the deal already, but with this thing of world building specifically, I'm like, Oh, well dark souls. But then I had to look up like, what specifically is world building? So I'm not talking out my ass. We're like, I just enjoy this game. Um, mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I closed the actual... It. Please, I, I closed it out. 
Yeah. I mean, so world building is a little tough to define, I think. Oh, so god it, damage. It, well, I'm just saying it would help to set some criteria. So like world building for me is the story and the setting. Um, it's the immersion. It's uh, like in particular, it's the narrative that's being set up and the supportive narrative around whatever the main themes are. Um, I realize that that's still really open, but like to me, uh, the world building for a game is better if it pulls you in. And it's not just because it's like, Oh, it's call of duty. And I got shot and I feel really upset now, or I shot that guy and I feel really good. It's like you find yourself immersed in the world, um, or interested in the plot lines and the outcome of what's going on. Um, I mean, I don't disagree. I'm going to read Wikipedia's definition, then we can just compare the two. I'm curious how far off I am. <laughs> world building is the process of constructing an imaginary world, sometimes associated with a whole fictional universe. Mm-hmm. Developing an imaginary setting with coherent qualities, such as history, geography, ecology, blah, 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 blah. Right. Okay. So, so it's basically making fictional natural sciences for your world. <laughs> well, it's not just... So like when I was kind of looking at my own definition of like what is it what should it be Mm -hmm. i do think it is like establishing the world but it's how you do it there's different approaches right but the one that i am probably most familiar with is broad strokes into like pixel brush which is interesting so i went back to play some dark souls one in the beginning Mm -hmm. they give you this very cool cutscene. And it kind of explains like the lore before your character arrives in the scene, right? Mm-hmm. So it's establishing like, hey, here's some events that happen in the world. Here's some stuff that's going on. And these are the broad strokes, some of the overarching things that you care about. Um, and then as you play through the game, you get some of those details filled in. Right. Some other things that kind of flesh it out. Um, but it's very much the, here's initially like the overall thing to get you interested. And then as you go, more things are filled in. Right. Mm -hmm. And I feel this is a kind of a generic follow-up to that. It's not particularly pertaining to a specific game, but a lot of older games, or I I honestly, I'm going to rag on JRPGs for a second. Please. Um, They, (laughs) right. That's what we're here for. Um, They front load information. It's like, think about the opening scrawl, right? These, These old RPGs are literally known for it. It's like, there was a kingdom and a king and an invader and the princess was captured and it's like all of this stuff and it's just text and text and text um to turn it around a little bit um one of the games i know we both enjoyed um was freaking i can't remember the name of it though uh old rpg you have uh it was battle maps crap we talked about it sega sega oh uh shining force Shining Force, yes, thank you. I can't. I couldn't think of Shining Force. I was like, what is um, a battle map? <laughs> right. Well, it's I open you, world you, maps, yeah. I guess is what I was thinking. Um, but Shining Force has an opening scroll like that, where it's like the kingdom of blah, and you're like, okay, sure. I think everybody has a certain amount of tolerance for that, but I don't believe I would ever accept that as the best way to convey information uh, to the player. No, it's, it's shit. Mm-hmm. Um and I think part of the <laughs> reason hard, harder take, but let's go with it. Yeah, <laughs> I hate it, and it should die. <laughs> but my thought there is, 
if you are like force feeding me all of this information, I don't get to appreciate something like where I discover something on my own or right. kind of like mm-hmm. connect the dots or infer anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, again, going back to Dark Souls, a lot of the things that people like about it is you kind of discover some things as you go. Yeah. And part of the immersion is you have like this whole grand landscape. As soon as you like enter Lord Drain, you're like, I see shit for really far. Mm-hmm. And then later you move around, you're like, oh, that's connected. So part of yeah. it is like connecting the dots and going, oh. But the other part of it is you're such a small, insignificant thing compared to everything else around you. Mm-hmm. And it's a very lonely experience. So you're just kind of going off of exploration and then you like really cherish the interactions you do have with NPCs or vendors. So I do want to ask a question. You mentioned Dark Souls here. We haven't talked about Dark Souls in a while, obviously. Um, it does have an opening that is basically like a bit of monologue, right? Mm-hmm. The explanation of the founding of the Lord Souls and the Fear of Pygmy, finding the Dark Soul. Um, and that's all established in like that opening shot. There are cutscenes, I think good cutscenes, they hold up even today to accompany them. Um, and, but none of that information actually applies to the game really as far as gameplay is considered like at all the the opening moments of gameplay aren't you as gwyn or you as the pygmy it's you in a cell and somebody kicks a corpse in all right start playing the game you're like okay right there's not a whole bunch of opening scrawl or star wars thing how do you feel about that sort of open to the world of the cinematic i mean so in general, if I'm doing like a single player game, I'm just like sitting down. I'm like, all right, I've blocked it this time to just check it out and go through the experience. Mm-hmm. Like you said, I'm definitely willing to put up with more time invested in something. Right. Uh, but I like that it's, hey, here's your hook. It's a three three minute cutscene tops. Yep. But now I was like, actually looking it up. I was looking at the time. It's it's setting the tone as an initial thing. You're like, oh, okay. And then you're like, I want to learn more about this and explore. Like, that's your initial drive. Mm -hmm. Versus, like, you spawn in and somebody's like, hey, you got to go find the Lord Souls. And you're like, right. Thanks, NPC. I think what's interesting, sort of, I say the word interesting too much. Um, What's engaging about this kind of open is the Dark Souls 1 opening doesn't tell you anything about your character at all. It doesn't mention your character. Right, because Um, you're literally insignificant. Yeah, you're you're nobody in a cell somewhere. Um, But it gives you vague underpinnings about the forces behind the world. And it does, it inspires questions, I think, which is, um, it can be difficult to do unless you have a particularly engaging story and world that you've built. but if you do have one and you can get people to ask those questions, that's a really engaging open, right? Like I want to find out whatever is a perfectly good, acceptable and ideal uh, motivation to keep playing a game. Right. Um, and they just present you with all of that information briefly up front, the overarching powers of uh, Lord Rain. I can't believe you would agree with me so blatantly. Mm-hmm. About Dark Souls, no less, right? Yeah. yeah. 
Um, yeah, like you need the initial hook, but to go back to the other point I made a couple of minutes ago, mm-hmm. it's the connecting the dots. They're not telling you stuff that's just random fucking information that you're like, oh, cool. Um, they used alchemy to make something and then it's never relevant, right? Right. Like everything they tell you is in universe and connects to something else. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. another point to it, which again, Divinity Original Sin 2 does this as well. Um, everything that's going on, even like the the history that comes up, you're like, oh, that's still very much present in mm-hmm. the game. It's not just there for like, oh, it's it's established. We're definitely a series type thing. I would say coming off of Dark Souls into Divinity, though, they have very different methods of actual of world building. The world building is passive in Dark Souls. It's almost it seems almost a coincidence that the bosses you fight, the Lord Souls that you acquire are from ultimately the people in the opening cutscene. Like in Divinity, they throw a lot of information at you. And they just trust like, hey, we've done our job making you invested in the world enough that you're going to care about this mouse that's named like Roger or whatever, right? <laughs> like, um, how do you feel about that? Com- like that divergence? Because I know you like both games. Oh, um, yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> so hot take, <laughs> specifically with Dark Souls. Again, going back to like some of the loneliness. They very mm-hmm. much give you everything on a drip feed. Mm-hmm. It's a very lonely experience. You're always looking out to like not get fucked by something around a corner, right? Mm-hmm. So when you have those interactions with an NPC or you find like an item and you get to read its description, those moments are savored much more. And like that's the only way you're getting information. Right. So even if you're not like looking out for it, like you do get it slowly. Uh, whereas Divinity Original Sin 2 is much more rich as far as how much content is in it. Mm -hmm. And it's very fleshed out. Like all of the NPCs seem to have uh, some insight on things that are going on or their own personal stories. Right. Or even like you were talking about Roger the rat, not an actual character. (laughs) Probably not. It fucking could be because there are so many, like if you have animal speaking, like everybody's a fucking side quest Mm -hmm. and they put so much into it to get you invested mm-hmm. but it makes you feel very much like magic is present throughout the world and it's feared by a lot of people because it causes issues yeah but you even as i'm just talking about it, i'm like oh i'm into it already right yeah like, you're, you're thinking about it playthrough yeah. um one of the things preference between the two as far as approach for how they get you in i think it's tough it is really tough because dark souls I think legitimately it's possible to play that game, not understand anything that happens and be like, that's a fun game. You know, I feel like a lot of people probably beat the game like that and I can't hold it against them because the game doesn't tell you a whole lot. Um, You're like final boss dead cutscene credits. All right. I guess that's good. Um, Whereas divinity is like, we expect you to some degree to care about how these characters are interacting in the world, the factions they come from, what their motivations are. And we're going to make those persistent. Um, uh, I, I think as far as representing world building, I do like divinity's structure, I would say. Um, but part of that just become comes from the fact that like dark souls is really vague and you kind of need to have body 
either explain some things to you or like infer some structure and be like, I think this is how it is. And then the whole community is just like, sounds good. Body said it's that way. Let's go. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, I think it's just because it's intriguing and kind of vague that people want to look into it more and research it and find the meaning or determine their own meaning from it. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. divinity is much more, this is what it is. Um, yes. And it's not given to you all up at once. Like as you have playable characters who are story characters, you learn a lot about them throughout the campaign because mm-hmm. the campaign's long as fuck and you have time. Yeah. But. And they all, they, they all have some grounding in the world. Like um, I think that's, that's something that divinity does that pertains to world building in, in, a, in a good way is they have the characters are, regional like they have groups they come from they have factions they come from they have a home they have their own goals um and all of them derive some of their identity from where they're placed in the world um like where they came from what do they do um and it does help build i feel a believable structure that's essential when you're like information dumping so much on people like if you took all of the information that divinity has about the world and you're like, and we're just going to slap this on top of a world that we don't care about, then I wouldn't play that game because that's way too much text. You know, <laughs> like it's, it's because they're tying questions in to what all of these people are doing and getting you invested that um, the tolerance for sheer text textual dialogue uh is there right yeah it's it's spaced out in a way where if you're looking for it it will be there but if you're just mm-hmm. doing a playthrough like i just want to go through and beat the game it doesn't feel like too much at all yeah mm-hmm. and also the progression of events i would argue in pretty much all these games on the list seem to scale adequately mm-hmm. it's not like it goes from zero to 60, like cyberpunk, let's say, for example, right. I'm going to steal this car. Whoa. And then it goes mm-hmm. like crazy hijinks. And then it's just wildly in this other direction. It's like, go. Yeah. The action game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd say most, most, most of these games that I are on our list follow some format of the hero's journey of an accum- like a task set forth goal accomplished heroic accomplishment um divinity just adds some nice twists and flavor on it that uh you're like i'm on someone's hero's journey and i'm not sure who's yet (laughs) you know (laughs) um and maybe the hero is bad guy who knows (laughs) We'll, we'll find out together um but i do appreciate when that level of detail is um presented as it is in divinity like you get the impression and this is useful i think from a world building perspective um that reality didn't start when the player started the game right it's not like and now the world is moving forward now that you've arrived hello hero you know yeah um going back to shining force that would be a counter example where that is very much it's an old rpg they're like Here's the plot of the game. Go have fun, kids. Yeah. But that's very much where everything is. 
Mm-hmm. The background doesn't fucking matter. It's high into anything. It's just to give you a reason to go from one side of the screen to the other. Yeah. It's not necessarily a terrible trope, but it is something you can kind of like watch out for. I might be ruining some people's perception of playing certain games with this, but like if the super impactful thing happens the moment that your character shows up, then it's a world, it's a universe that's spinning around you. (coughs) (laughs) Yes. It's, you know, uh, it's a universe spinning around you, which can be fun. It's everybody loves a power trip. Um, But from a world building perspective, it's a better accomplishment to be able to place you at a point in the world and let you make it matter or give yeah. you the illusion that you're making if it matter. If you ever have to like stop yourself and ask you like, wait a second, what, what happened? Like what were the events before my specific part in the story? Right. That's a good job. Exactly. Divinity is really good at that. Actually. It's yeah. like, here you go. Like elder scrolls is also um, to some degree, they at least have the same sort of structure. You start as a prisoner, something's happened. Um, unknown background make something of yourself um, to some degree. Yeah. I I do like some of what they do with that. Um, but like taking Skyrim as the only recent example I've played because... Yeah. I mean, what are, what other comparisons can we make? Who else been? is going to talk about three? But 15 years, you know, or I whatever. Know, it's, uh, <laughs> 15, that came out 10 15 years ago. editions of Skyrim. <laughs> yeah, Skyrim came out 10 years ago. So... Oblivion release date, two thousand six. Nobody knows what Oblivion is. Exactly. They're the the gates or something. Gates. Of yeah, there's, there's gates. Kavach. Basically. My what now? <laughs> it was <laughs> kick to the Kavach. <laughs> <laughs> but like with Skyrim and other Elder Scrolls, they very much have a, hey, we're gonna have books strewn around. Yeah. You can read mm-hmm. them, but I don't think they matter for shit. Hmm. That's my experience, at least. They seem very I mean, much I agree. like extra metadata. So you're saying you, you didn't read Lusty Argonian Made? I, I'm i sure I did, like, on, <laughs> online or something, because I heard mm-hmm. it referenced enough times. Yeah. I, but, I think that most people would be hard-pressed to name any book that's not literally, like, Agma Infinitum, which is a Daedric artifact, Lusty Argonian Made, or... Um, the uh, freaking things from Oblivion, the main plot item, the books you had to accomplish, like Mysterium Xarxes. Okay, maybe people wouldn't, maybe a lot of people wouldn't mention that one off the top of their head either. But. This is coming from a Dark Souls 2 apologist, Jake, so I think you're on your own boat here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, it's like, who who wants to sit down? Like, open world RPG, you can do whatever you want. I'm going to read in-game an extended period of time. Yeah, it like is that good? I don't think that's good, personally. No, I I think it's fine to have text in games that you can go and read. Mm-hmm. I'm very much more grateful that that exists versus it just saying like, "Hey, Jim, on your way to your next mission, let me tell you about such and such." You're like, ah, oh, Jesus, fuck! And it's yeah. just kind of Justin and I are playing Borderlands three right now, and. Mm-hmm. Well, granted, like I still enjoy a lot of the writing, though it still feels like a little bit Invader Zim to me at this time and point, mm-hmm. where I feel like I've grown a little bit past it as far as right. full appreciation. Yeah, um, it's just it's a lot of information coming at you, and I like when you can 
find things and i'm actually interested to check it out yeah. but not a lot of games hit that mark it just as i said feels like superfluous metadata mm-hmm. where it's like uh we need 15 camps in this open world game and uh 30 textbooks johnny this is your job and he's like okay and he just googles some shit it's like i think it came up before we were talking about it we're not a, a film critiquing podcast but like the term uh, show don't tell it matters for video games too like anytime that you can convey information to the player in a non-literal manner where it's just them reading hey this is how you do the puzzle hey this is what you need to know in the form of text and there's some more engagement going on with the world that's going to be more meaningful than sitting down and like reading a book bioware is actually old bioware i don't know what new bioware is like anymore um they were really bad for this too like classic rpgs had this like you can, are continuing to grab continuing to grab journal entries on all of this stuff and if you care about the world read those entries um and we kind of hope you do but we don't want to slow down the people who are just here to be in cool rpg fights um and that's not interesting world building it's i mean they had so much cool stuff that you could read about but who cares right <laughs> like you're reading about it you're not playing it yeah it it has to, <laughs> near it has to mm. be interwoven in such a way that first off like you need the person's audience the audience's attention for them yeah. to give a shit assuming they give a shit you can definitely get away with more but you need certain things told to them as a part of gameplay versus like you're talking about, like that stop of gameplay to be like time to catch up on my email. Yeah. Also, like a lot of games they're like, hey, there's an email on this computer and you've unlocked it. I'm like, eh. Deus Ex. Yeah. Now with Deus Ex, I did enjoy it enough to where I did do that. Mm-hmm. But if I ever but, go back, I'm not going to. So, so my question to you, though, because like. You, all of the Deus Ex games have this. The old one, Human Revolution, Mankind Divided. They all have terminals where it's like you could get some information here. And the issue, for the most part, is the information is either literally gameplay impacting, like it's a password, mm-hmm. right? Um, Which or everybody sends in emails, as we know. Yeah, I mean, it's reality. <laughs> you know, we'll just leave it there. Um or it's nothing. It's like a corporate fluff. It's something like that. And I found myself more. Maybe I'm a lazy gamer. I don't know. I found myself skimming a bit and being like, is this a password email? Or is this uh, like why Electicorp hired a new janitor uh, in the fourth quarter of like nobody again, nobody cares. Right. Um, and I, I think like I balance on that edge of just starting to skip reading a bit if none of it seems to matter for what i'm doing in the game i feel like part of it is you specifically in this case but i'm going to include myself as well is being Mm -hmm. a little bit gamer jaded Mm -hmm. like we've played a lot of games throughout our gaming career right might as well be at this point like you immediately identified as oh this is just something so that there is something Mm mm-hmm and like you can immediately identify it as this isn't a part of gameplay. This is just, oh, it's like an office computer. There's going to be a couple office emails, right? right. Mm-hmm. 
and while they might be like well written and somebody spent the time to work on them, I'm sure mm-hmm. as much as I threw that other guy under the, under the bus, um, sometimes you can just tune it out really quick. Yeah. So it's like, it's, does this, it's hard to the, balance that line. I feel, I guess the, the question when you're conveying information regarding world building to the player, um, you got to ask yourself questions. And those questions are, does the information that I'm telling the player uh, matter for what they're doing? That's a very important question to answer. And the, having yes to either of these might ne- like actually justify it being included in the game. And the other question is, does the player want to know this? And if it doesn't matter and they don't want to know it, why are you telling them, right? That's the difference, I think. So if I'm going through terminals and I'm answering no to both of those questions, you failed. Like, to not sugarcoat it. Um, because I've lost interest in whatever you're trying to tell me, and I don't believe it's going to impact my gameplay at all. Yeah. That's definitely... There's a difference of mindset between you and possibly somebody else. True. But mm-hmm. I mean, I'm on your side for that because I'm the same way. Also, to jump back to the show and tell thing, because I forgot. Um, do you remember that one episode of Breaking Bad? Where I haven't actually seen all of Breaking Bad. I've seen, ep- I've seen clips. If it's a clip, I've probably seen it's it. It's been out for like 30 years, so I'm going to spoil one episode. Mm-hmm. Um, this is early doors, so like they're not necessarily bad people but they do capture one of the other drug dealers who's like trying to kill them and they put him in the basement and they don't know what to do with him right Mm -hmm. Uh, they're kind of panicking they're like maybe we should let him go like we're not murderers like what are we gonna do um so like he's handcuffed down to something in the basement and they like uh, give him a sandwich on like a ceramic plate and then the plate breaks and then they're like, oh, and they, like, they clean it up. And as they're talking upstairs um, and they're like reassembling the plate, mm-hmm. they realize that there's like a giant piece missing, something that yeah. can be used as a shiv. Now, it's yeah. never stated, but just that immediate moment and like the look between uh, the two characters that you know that they know and also mm-hmm. you know what's going on. Right. Um, so they realize it's become a more dangerous situation um, and they can't trust this guy to just let him go and things will be fine. Mm-hmm. but again that's a show not tell exactly. it doesn't need to be spelled out at that point because you can use your brain a little bit right like how how useless would it be if the characters in the show at that moment were like there's a large piece of the plate missing it, he could be using it as an improvised weapon or a, perhaps escaping at this very moment like worthless yeah. worthless information that would dis disarm any sort of aha moment that the audience is experiencing by figuring it out themselves. They're not geniuses for doing so, but you don't have to be. If you are presenting information in a way that the audience is figuring things out, connecting those dots, like you mentioned a while ago, that is what keeps people engaged as opposed to just reading or hearing literally (laughs) the transcription of what's going on. Right. Yeah. It's the aha moments that, also help with investment for world building yeah and like some of the games i've been ragging on a little bit they they still do that like dragon age has those moments where it's like 
you're learning about this like sleep plane and the attributes about it and you're putting things together and if you figure it all out you're like i think that that person right there is not who they look like they are and it's not who they say they are because i've been paying attention to what's going on but that's not because you read it in a journal entry somewhere right yeah. It's because you're figuring it out and growing more interested in the world while you do so. Like I love, I can't think of a, a concrete example at the moment. Um, but like, let's say you notice a character in a game being mm-hmm. like slightly off. Or you right. just notice something like something tingle. a little bit quirky, right? Mm-hmm. Tingle. Yeah. Yeah. Tingle from legend of Zelda. <laughs> He's the main villain. Um, mm-hmm. But like when you notice that and then later on, like you see something come up with them, you're like, oh, this actually connects back to what I saw earlier that tracks. Mm -hmm. And maybe at that point they explain it to the in-game character mm -hmm. of I was doing this even way back then or something. But you as a player did that on your own. And you called it. I, I think one of the my favorite examples, I don't want to pick a specific game for the purpose of avoiding spoilers, but it actually comes up a little bit, but there's the cannibalism event where it's like you've come across a community and things are slightly wrong. Like they don't seem to have a food supply and they're a bit twitchy and like they don't have any neighbors and they're overly friendly. You know, like all of these traits feed into building a a feeling that something is wrong and obviously if you've played like a lot of the games where this is an unveiling or seen media with it it's like i think we should leave right you get that sense of unease that can eventually build to a conclusion where it is more or less spelled out to you even if they don't say it and that's good world building. That's an example of getting people invested in what is wrong about this situation. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I should have, I should have just named one of the games. It was, I in, mean, but I, I don't, I knew what it was immediately. I'm sure other people do as well if yeah. they've played that. Um, mm-hmm. So as a, a DM, somebody mm-hmm. who's in the dungeon mastering stuff. Yeah. How do you like to build the world for a campaign? That's a <laughs> let's, let's actually How say much? a session because okay. a campaign obviously is much more overarching across multiple sessions. So it's it's um I could probably have an episode on this. I'm gonna try not. I'm gonna try to be I'm just relatively gonna concise. Disconnect my <laughs> yeah, just it, uh, head, headset off. He just loads up Smash right now. Play some online games. Um, it's different, I think, than a video game because you want to have the world really, really actively react. To what the players are doing in the moment so usually what i try to set up are people that have motivations and circumstances and then don't overthink it you're just like you come across a traveler on the road what does that traveler want what are they trying to do what's their personality that's it there you go and if the party is in the way of that goal that could lead to a conflict if they want to help with that goal that could lead to a plot hook you know Um, but the idea is think about how the impact, how can the players be impactful in this overarching world, um, and draw them into it. 
So would you say it's more instance based? I think it's like instance interactions, not necessarily tie-ins from like the macro world of yeah, out inside reaching out a little bit more than outside reaching in is the common way to do it. Now there are exceptions. We're running Cyberpunk Red right now, and uh, there's there are things going on outside the world um, or outside the sphere of influence of what the players are doing. But um, for the most part, it's more satisfying if the players do have some impact on those events but it's nice to for them to set things in motion and then for that to impact things down the line it comes back around that's something that also is shared with video games i think you know consequence so consequence is always a good tool for player investment mm-hmm. if your actions actually cause something else to happen it will make right. you reevaluate things in the future yeah because i think we talked about like how having a very player centric world in a video game can be a, a little hollow like if it's all based around the hero but that doesn't mean the hero shouldn't have um like impact in the world you absolutely need that to some degree elder scrolls usually starts you as nobody and you end up having the most impact <laughs> like you're the chosen one or whatever um dragonborn or what have you um, but it's actually a better, I think, sign of good storytelling if those consequences ripple out and affect the world, right? Like, it's a sign that your world's really shallow if you're like, I killed the big bad evil guy, and then everybody else in the world's like, I don't care, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I got a family to feed. <laughs> Weirdly enough, I'm actually thinking of Final Fantasy X. Okay. All right. So you as Tidus, everyone's favorite main character. Ha 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 ha. Okay. Things obviously do revolve around you. But when you get to the other world of Spira, um, or whatever different time dimension it is, mm-hmm. things have already been going on with Sin for like millennia. Right. They're like, oh, this has been like an ongoing thing. We have temples we pray at. We have rituals we follow. This is our fucking world. And he's like, well, mm. that sucks. Can we change it? And they're like, no. And he's like, but what if we blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, I'm, I'm an impetuous child, though. And you're like, yeah. eh, I don't know if that's enough. But it feels very established, like the world that is there. And you learn about it as you go through and visit the other temples. Mm-hmm. Why? even though you disagree with somebody's beliefs, why they have them so strongly and what Mm -hmm. they're fighting for. And it makes it feel more real and alive. It's not just you doing stuff. Nobody else fucking matters. It's you're in a world. We live in a world. (laughs) We live. Yeah. More than a society. Sometimes the world, I think, I think like what you're describing is like a paradigm shift at some point right even if it's temporarily even Mm -hmm. if it's not like strictly you're controlling a different character like the game encourages you to see reality perceive it from someone else's point of view um which just like having multiple you know lights pointed at an object casts a 3d shadow it's like the same way with uh, a game right it lends depth to it if you can look about look at it in different ways and understand different perspectives uh, on what's going on 
Japanese games are usually pretty good at that. Um, at least the ones that I play. <laughs> but uh, things like, you know, Dark Souls, uh, they're super ambiguous about like which ending's the good one they're all bad <laughs> it's all just your biting time and maybe you're you're actively causing chaos or you're just avoiding it for a time you know it's um it's all it is but um i think that's that's a good that's another that's another good sign that your world has some depth if you can kind of like walk to the side of it and look at it and you're like this isn't made of cardboard right <laughs> So 2D games are basically out. Yeah, they're out entirely. Uh, Paper Mario is still pretty good, though. From world building's perspective? No, not really. Not not too great there. How about um, Undertale from a world building perspective? I do like Undertale's world building, I believe. You are very clearly a hero whose <laughs> actions impact everything that happens. But you're also finding out that you're not you're not like the f- first and only character exactly. who's been down this road so to speak your journey is like in the shadow of another's and those discoveries about the others uh helps push push the uh, the gameplay along i think and the plot yeah and it, and it ties back as far as foreshadowing for asgore dreamer mhm yeah the world's not as interconnected as some other stuff. I know Dark Souls has always been the prime example of like, look over there. I was there earlier. Right. The Sekiro does that too. And I'm sure some other FromSoft titles have taken from that idea because it's it's cool. Yeah, I think like I wouldn't discount the way that Undertale runs it though. Like oh, no, Undertale it's... has a focused world where you're like developing relationships with characters. You know, you're you're learning about what they're doing um and it's it's kind of like a, a small it's like a flashlight right you're working walking through the game with a flashlight and everything immediately on the screen matters at least for the time um but they're not trying to spend a lot of time trying to tell you like somewhere else and on the opposite side of the city uh, a cat is in a tree and they need to be rescued like they don't bother you with any of that it's still a pretty linear experience um and they just they fill in the world building and the interactions you do have yeah it's it's entirely character based mm-hmm. like that whole stuff in the beginning i mean personally i fell in love with the character of Toriel. I mm. felt bad to leave and bad mm. when I killed her because I feel like everybody's <laughs> not expecting that damage spike. But yeah. Like I carried it that is pretty on cold. for yeah. It's <laughs> intentionally like intentionally done by they, the way. Yeah, yeah. Toby Fox. Um but like each other character interaction you have for main characters, not like a shop NPC or something. Mm-hmm. You have these sections of the game with them. So you get to see like different sides of their personality and usually then you won't interact with them for a bit. Yeah. But like even after the papyrus fight, you still have mm-hmm. papyrus interactions, right? Right. And he's like mm-hmm. saying stuff about undying, which kind of builds suspense for undying. Um, right. And yeah, like you care about all of these things as you go. Mm-hmm. So then at the end of the game, you're like, I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this for my friends or Maybe you killed everybody on the way. I don't know, but <laughs> you, you monster. 
Yeah, it's, it's definitely kind of, that's how they get you hooked. Yeah, because like they, you do. Sorry, I'm sorry, gonna go finish yeah, my rant good. and I'll stop. You're good. You're good. Um, they do have like these little interactions, like side adventures, which kind of almost distracts you from like, hey, um, I'm gonna try and kill the king to leave. It's the mm-hmm. king or me, pretty much what it comes down to, because mm-hmm. he wants your fucking soul. He doesn't want to do it, but but just taking all those emotions and investment into that last section of the game. Mm-hmm. I'm done. No, no, that's fair. The only I I was agreeing, and you're you're touching on things I was going to follow up with. So I was <laughs> like, yeah, no, let him finish, let him finish. Um, yeah, it's it's the world building Undertale does is community building is the way I would put it. Like you're dropped into a community of individuals that have relationships with each other. They have with each other. They have friends. Um, they have rivals, you know, and it's that atmosphere and discovering those connections, finding out your place in that, um, that makes it so emotionally impactful, but it's also an abstract form of world building. It's, you know, very character centric, like you said, but it's, it makes it believable because, uh, the world, even though you're the hero in this, it's not all about you unless you're genocide playthrough, (laughs) then it kind of is, um, it's, you know, finding how you fit into everything that's out there in these, in these people's lives. So that's probably giving Undertale maybe a little bit more credit and saying like how you fit into these people's lives. That's a little bit games journalist <laughs> perhaps, but it's, just, it's fine. Yeah. But yeah, like its strength was never, Hey, we have crazy UI. It's very yeah. minimalist, but mm-hmm. it focuses on those interactions. Like you were saying, and then, like, the music's great. Mm-hmm. And they still do a fuck ton with just 2D things. Dear yeah. God. And even when they branch outside of that, you appreciate it all the more because you weren't fucking expecting it. Yeah. It has a decided absence of some of the other things you mentioned, like locales, connected places. None of that really stands out as mattering that much in Undertale. There are different locales. They could be replaced with any other locale. And yeah. the core of the game would have been the same. Um, it focuses on other things and it does those things well. So, I'm trying to think of an example that does the opposite of a broad strokes first pixel brush. Hmm. Something where you'd get the very much you or more nuanced details up front and then after the factor just later in the game you kind of learn how the world works. Hmm. Q Bo Burnham reference here. Right. That one's a hmm. I'm trying to think of what the hypothetical would be that I could find a game for that. So you're saying something where you have I guess it's too abstract for me to think particularly of an example. Um because what you're describing is something where you have a lot of detail up front, but you find out how that detail fits into the world later. Yeah, so I guess kind of just the opposite of the Dark Souls where you have the cutscene up front kind of explaining the overarching events of the world before you showed up. So I guess getting that stuff. So like the cold open. They drop you straight into it. They give you almost nothing. And then you have to figure all of it out. 
I feel like that's still somewhat close to Dark Souls. Um, one of one one I would consider. I don't know if this is a direct match, but <laughs> according to your Google search results that have been autocorrected, top result is Breath of the Wild. Like, um, that's a game that is like that, where it's almost entirely about discovery of the world, and there's almost no lead up it's literally just you wake up here's an iphone go out and have fun (laughs) like um i don't even remember if there's an opening cutscene that tells you actually no there is there is i think the game tells you like hey ganon's in the castle (laughs) go take care of that goodbye (laughs) which is similar to the dark souls open true hmm I think it's I think it is useful to have some direction at the start. Game starts. What? Right. <laughs> Do I have a menu button? Can I move? Yeah. You got to you got to you got to like show them the carrot before you like pull it behind the side of this the stage. And then be like, "Man, I do like carrots though." They the kind of like rubbing their hands together. Yeah. Oh, did you That's did the you surprise want twist. <laughs> the carrot is mine <laughs> yeah this is uh kind of a vague topic actually mm-hmm. i feel like if we had a guest who had written a novel or something mm-hmm. in like science fiction space they could provide a little more insight but it's definitely yeah. like how you color the world to make somebody give a shit which things are relevant and yeah. how just how you're sharing that so like mm-hmm. game of thrones george R. R. martin will tell things for like different people's perspectives and right. it will switch um but granted that's it's done slowly but there's like a wealth of things it's well done as well so mm. you care about all the billion characters before they die off right yeah it's very much like it's like shooting it's a bunch of flashlights alternating uh turning on giving perspective at different points Could somebody make and a sometimes... diagram of the three flashlight references jake has described yeah the flashlights i think are a good one i'm, I'm sticking with the analogy because it's like maybe it's pointed toward a wall and revealing something another like flashlights pointing somewhere else maybe there's a statue but you only see it from one side another flashlight comes on you see it from the other side um it's there's a, there's a lot you can do with uh, alternating perspectives. I will. I do want to give one honorable mention to uh, world building, and this this is a very small scope into a large scope expansion in the literal sense. But um, uh, incremental games. There's one I'm thinking of in particular. Um, free game online uh, called A Dark Room, and it literally just opens with like a line of text that's just like you are cold. And then like a few seconds passed and it's like you're in a room and then like you get the op- a few seconds past you. It's like get the option to like search for firewood and it just develops from this. You know, people eventually show up. They continue to expand. You build a village then you can go out and like explore the world. But it starts with the most myopic like perspective um, and relies on you asking questions about like what's the next thing mm-hmm. to expand um 
if I remember, it's kind of crazy by the end, but <laughs> that's, you know, it's a web game. What are you going to do? <laughs> Let's go out for a walk at the end. We killed God. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, that we're back to JRPGs. Yeah. Full circle, <laughs> right? I mean, I think that kind of fits the example of that. The question I was asking for something that's very, very small scale on detail. And mm-hmm. then you're kind of like at the very core of the picture and then slowly working your way outside like a very shitty traveling salesman. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's difficult to sometimes think of concrete examples for abstract concepts. It's much easier to sort of work in the opposite direction. Um, But it's a fun exercise nonetheless. I think for the one time that I planned, and I say planned very loosely, do you remember that game chat we had like five years ago? Yeah, I was thinking about yeah. it actually. Mm-hmm. So as a part of the exercise for that, I'm just like, I guess, busy worker coming up with stuff. Um, randomly generated a map, sectioned yep. off different areas for like, this area will be for the, these types of people and they'll worship mm-hmm. this god. And then I was like designing different gods and yeah. like, how's this going to flesh out? Um, but it was cool just to kind of think of that and design around that main theme of like oh it's a mm-hmm. swamp what are swamp related things i can throw in here what's the exactly. twist on it how would this impact other characters in the thing mm-hmm. i think that that's actually at its core like the essential of world building um you say like given this foundation how does that impact the world? And you don't have to tell the players all of that. Um, it's better if you don't, if people can just decipher some of it. But if it's like you have a vengeful God who like thirsts for blood, it's like you're in Warhammer 40k universe. They're probably, there's going to be some problems if that's your boss, right? <laughs> like um, it's not going to be the cleanest situation. And like having those seeds of intent, this actually goes all the way back to the DM conversation we were having. As long as there's intent to move in a direction and then at some point something uh, comes across that intent, it blocks it, it interferes with it. It wants the same goal. You know, Those are where meaningful interactions come into play in the world and characters. Um, what do people want? And how does the player character interact with that? Can all come from simple things like this village uh, has an oil field behind it, you know, or anything else like that. Um, there's one, I, I realize I'm chaining on my own thing here. Uh, so if there's anything you wanted to say right there, let me know. Um, but there was one example, I was thinking of a game I have not played uh, called Tyranny, where it's just like a classic RPG um, style. Um, The overarching thing is there's an overlord. He's already won everything. He's the evil bad guy. And if like you don't subjugate this rebellion in this amount of time, he's going to kill every single person on the continent that you're trying to subjugate. Just all of them. He just has like a magical spell precast. That's just like, if you don't plant a flag here or whatever, by the end, everyone dies. So Go get them, champ. And that's a great seed of intent to build a world around, you know? Yeah, I like... 
I like cool overarching behind the scenes things. It just uh it's really cool because later on there's that payoff, right? Mm-hmm. Like not going too much into Divinity Original Sin 2, but right. uh there's some stuff that's mentioned throughout the entire fucking game, and you're like, that's old history. And then the end of the game's like, What's up, motherfucker? You're like, Oh <laughs> Did shit. Did you study for the lesson <laughs> or for the quiz? Yeah. So it, it was really cool to like have that tie in where initially you think it's like, oh, they're just coloring the world, so to speak. Yeah. But mm-hmm. having all those things tie back. Um, but yeah, also when you have an overarching evil like that to face against it as your shitty heroes party that's now level t- 72, like yeah. mm-hmm. it feels cool. Like, oh, we've, we're ready to accomplish the goal. Yeah. It is worth noting for Tyranny. I, like I said, I haven't played it. Can't recommend it necessarily or disrecommend it. Whatever the opposite. Not recommend it. That's a, probably the more sane way to say it. Um, but you don't play as the heroes in that one. You do play as the people working for him to subjugate the area. <laughs> um, so it's a different sort of experience. But that can be fun too. Gotta be the bad guys. So if you're a sociopath, check it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but only if you really like classic style RPGs. So I don't know. They're not that big right now. Um, any advice for listeners at home? How can they build better worlds? What's the, what's the the one takeaway? I would say if you want to design uh, a nice world or build a nice world, give a shit about it yourself first. Ooh, yeah. If you don't even care about the thing that you want to sell to other people, why the fuck would they care? That's sales 101. You mm. got to believe what you're selling. Make it interesting for you and then share that love and passion with other people. If yep. you think a uh, detail is going to be superfluous or erroneous, fucking remove it. Mm-hmm. If you want to share something but not shove it down somebody's throat, find a way to pass them that information in a discreet fashion. Yeah. Maybe a character or NPC will tell them something. Mm-hmm. If it's a video game context and you have visual media, maybe you show a giant mountain in the background and you talk about its lore and you're like, it's spooky. We don't go over there. Why don't they yeah, go death, over there? Death Mountain, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's the way to do it. That is my concise advice. Thank you for this segment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my advice for this episode is if you do have ideas, for world building uh, as you think it was implemented well in other games you could send those in to us if you think that it's worth talking about the game I guess uh, to soapsonepodcast at gmail.com or you could join the discussion on Facebook which is dedicated to talking about world building this week I actually don't know whether it's the most active page like on the internet at this point or not uh, I assume it is at facebook.com slash soapstonepodcast and as always We'll see you in the next one. If Jake doesn't tell me about you first. <laughs> <laughs>